Hello, welcome back to the Neighborhood Conversations, where we chat about inclusive conversation, welcome inclusive organizations for different advocacy, for different knowledge, information sharing. And yeah, it's your boy, Templeton Sawyer, and we're back to have an inclusive conversation. And today we have the amazing Matt Thompson, Thomason uh, from P4G. Matt, you're going to correct me on your last name. But hey, we're acting cool today. We, we, we said that we wanted to do impromptu with our shades today on this um, Good Good Thursday. Matt, welcome to the Neighborhood Conversations. How are you? I am doing wonderfully. Full of wonder and joy in my heart, Templeton. Um, and what I'll say is this is Matt Thomason and this is Matt Thompson. So depending on who you get, there, yeah. <laughs> if... if, if if it's too cool for school, it's Thomason. I'm great. So glad to be here. How are you doing, Templeton? I'm good. You know, Matt, it's always good to talk about different um, inclusive employment and also talking about different practices that your organization is doing and, and other organizations are doing and also just making aware of what's what, what can people be a part of and how can people um, be more inclusive. And so I want to get right into the conversation and start off with what is P4G? I, I know P4G has been around for so for a little while, I would say, um, and, and remind me of how many years, and also remind me of when is the the anniversary? Did we did we uh, did the anniversary pass yet for P4G? Like like let's go there. Yeah yeah. What is P4G? It's a question I ask myself each and every day. Um, so uh, placemaking 4G is uh, we're an organization that takes a placemaking approach to human dynamics. We do uh, at the very uh, core of it, we do socially conscious recruiting. We humanize the world of work by creating human environments where um, candidates and organizations and, and employees within organizations can be seen and be heard um, as they look to grow, build their careers, build their organizations and contribute to their communities. So we work with organizations, big and small, and everything from two-person startups to the federal government and everyone in between um, who are looking to be intentional about building their teams. So we do recruiting. Uh, we also do a great amount of, of, of workshops, education, and strategy work around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work um, to be able to support the individuals beyond the attraction, but to the retention phase to create safer spaces. You're going to hear a lot of that type of language as we chat today. Um, and we chat about, I'm going to get rid of Matt Thomason, by the way, because yes, I want to be yeah, able yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. to see you with my eyes. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, I, we always talk about, you know, safer spaces. We talk about better practices. It's not best. It's not safe. It's, it's all about continuing on this journey and recognizing that there's room for us all to grow and learn as we go. Um, so to answer your question, that's what P4G is, socially conscious recruiting. Um, and uh, we have an amazing team of, of 11 other folks who are hiring right now. I'm not sure when this comes up, but, uh, but feel free. If you're interested in joining our team, feel free to reach out. Um, and we actually, uh, it's really hard to uh, put into words how humbling it is, but we turn five um, in October of this year. Um, so I think it's October 17th. Thank you very much. Um, I expect my cupcake with five candles on it in the mail. Um, but yeah, oh, so we turned we turned five this year. It's a it's a big year. Wow, five years of um, doing a lot of inclusiveness, um, implementing practices, um, um, doing a lot of other great, amazing work. And I and I want to get into the conversation with questions that I have. Um, but before we go dive deeper, um, what services do you offer so that people know um, a little bit more about the services that you offer so that 
people know how to get connected to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank thanks for that. Um, I feel like I'm on a I'm on a late night talk show about to sell my movie here, as we say. Here's a short <laughs> clip about what we do. Um, but but ultimate, ultimately, um, we do a lot of recruiting. We do a lot yeah. of recruiting for organizations, um, and we really work with organizations who value their people. There's not one niche. Um, we've worked in tech. We've worked in for profit. We've worked in leadership. We've worked in entry level. We've worked in everything in between. Organizations who are looking to do things differently and humanize that world of work. So. The bulk of what we do is recruiting, but we also do a huge amount and increasingly so uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work workshops. We have, we have some great partnerships with the like of Crayon Strategies, with the like of, of Indigenous Treaty Partners um, to be able to support and amplify the work that we do um, beyond that. So we also uh, provide workshops, for instance, on disrupting bias. Everybody has a conscious bias. Let's disrupt it. We do a lot of that, uh, that type of work and um, ultimately... We've started, and I can actually tell you right now, just coming, coming, off, coming hot off of a, a keynote this morning that we were able to provide to the federal government on inclusive leadership and a changing workforce. So wow. it's a humbling thing to be able to be at this phase in our career and in our journey as an organization, as individuals, as leaders, where Bradley and I can say that there's no, there's no sense of, what is, what is the word? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to lose the word. What, there's no sense of imposter syndrome in what we do because we have a huge amount of support from the community around us and impact to show and data to, to, to prove that point to be able to do that work. So there's also a little bit of a, a keynote work that goes into that as well. So I guess wow. recruiting, workshops, and uh, contribution through keynotes and engagement. We're going to take a quick break to listen to some Nova Scotia Works client stories. I look forward to my family's security in the future. That's the main goal as a father. The empowerment from changing careers has really just made me want to get out of bed in the morning. I'm looking forward to growing my business. So I want to hire people like I was hired. I want to give guys that chance. Il me fera plaisir de continuer à travailler avec les immigrants francophones en Nouvelle-Écosse. I'm looking forward to the financial freedom that I never had before. And now back to the podcast. Wow. Wow, Matt. That's really amazing. Um, inclusiveness, um, connecting with community, connect, making sure that you're connected with, with organization that's valuing people. And, that, and, and that's where we, we were going to engage the conversation now deeper into inclusiveness um, and inclusion when it comes down to valuing people and stuff like that um, when it comes down to organizations. Why do you believe diversity and inclusion is important, first of, first of all? Like, we speak about this a lot. Um, and I think in today's society and organizations around Nova Scotia, these are the conversations that are on the table, hot off the press on the table right now, um, where organizations are trying to um, um, look at their policies, look at their guidelines, look at everything to make sure that they're being very inclusive and making sure the language is there. Why do you believe this is important in these moments of times now. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's such a beautiful question. I think that the first thing that I would say to that Templeton is there's a difference between intention and outcomes. And I say that because there is a lot of talk around how you frame what's happening right now as opportunities. It is not a, uh, my my perspective is that it should not be 
an economic decision. It should not be a because you will gain more business from it decision. Because that is a scratching the surface decision that will ultimately lead to probably a little bit of profitability and then a potential potential community harm and negative impact. Now, that being said, they are not mutually exclusive. I think if you have the intention of truly being able to be inclusive in your practices, to be able to create a space where people don't want to just check out of their personal life and, and, and check in the work. They want to be able to bring their authentic, holistic selves to work to what they do. The data proves this. This is what people want. They want to contribute to a workforce that provides them the opportunity to feel fulfilled in all of what they are and, and in who they are. So if you can create that space, it A, it feels right. Do so with, with intentionality and authenticity. And it's, and it's able to, at the end of the day, you know, mutually exclusive, it's not the direct outcome of what you're looking to do. But we, for instance, are very intentional about, about what we do. Can I, can I tell a quick story? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So here's, the, so, so here's the difference between intentionality. And it's something that we're living through right now. Again, actually, Templeton, when do these podcasts come out? Is, does it come out like next week or in a few months? or In a, in a few um, upcoming week or two. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for, for context, everybody, it is, uh, we're recording this on September 15th. Uh, the Queen's, I think it's the funeral, Queen's funeral is on Monday. And there was a provincial and federal announcement about um, that being a holiday and that being shut down. It's really important for a team, for employees within an organization to be able to point to their leaders to say, this is our why. This is their why. This is, I know what my CEO, I know what my boss, I know what our organization stands for. This is their why. It's not just words. It's not just dusty, you know, values on the top shelf that are there, that, that, that are, are not never talked about. So I, I was able to speak to our team yesterday as a, as a, 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 a passport carrying Brit. I'm a dual citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to speak to our team yesterday to say that we as an organization have made the decision to not close our doors on Monday. We will remain open. And one of the major reasons behind that is to say that nothing changes if nothing changes. And if we are going to continue to celebrate a monarchy, if we're going to continue to celebrate um, an institution that for so many represents colonialism and for so many represents hurt and pain, we're not doing ourselves any justice when it comes to truth and reconciliation, when it comes to inclusivity. So we make that decision and I'm very proud and humbled to be able to come to my team with that decision. So the reason I tell that story is to say, why is it important? Well, it's important to be able to create space that people want to be. And it's important to be able to be authentic and intentional in how you do that. The outcome is that we're able to grow and have an impact on organizations. You know, we, we, we're five years old. We got to, we, we got to attain a, a seven figure mark this, this year from a revenue perspective, which is awesome. We're able to be successful as an organization, as a social enterprise in the field that we do. But our intention is to be authentic and intentional about the work that we do and how we do it. We have a behavior in our organization called leave no doubt of the integrity of your intentions. And that's how we hold ourselves to account. Woo. Wow, man. That's powerful. That's powerful. Being authentic, intentional, creating space, creating space in order to allow people's voices to be heard and allowing people to understand historic um, views, which is which can, which can impact 
the 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 definition of inclusive language and and, and, and including other people and also um diverse um perspectives knowing that and, I, and thank you for sharing that story matt and that, that that actually takes me to my next question when it comes down to creating spaces um and also being very inclusive in different ways can you give me an example of how you became an advocate for diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Um, and you shared a bit of it just now with um, about about Monday, but also that's like an advocate on what you uh, what we should be doing when it comes down to doing that. But more specifically, um, examples explaining the cultural snapshot model that that's helping your hiring practices um, with different organizations succeed um, in different areas. So. I'm all over the place with that question, but I'll leave it in, in, in your hands to, to, to I, take take on the, the hot seat for that one. Yeah. As, as somebody who uh, makes a living asking questions um, yeah. within, in, within an interview setting, I will say sometimes I ask about nine questions in one. So I totally <laughs> appreciate this question. Answer yeah. one of them, answer them all. Go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'll start with this and I'll start with how impactful it can be to be seen and to be heard in your authentic self. It feels good. Yeah. It feels right. As somebody who in a past life was, you know, working a, working a job that was so outside of my values and so, and I had to do things that I did not agree with, I developed throat ulcers um, wow. as a 20 something year old. Um, and it literally hurt, physically hurt, but it emotionally hurt as well. And when I was given the opportunity to lean into who I am, I am somebody who leads with my values. My values are to amplify, inspire, and transform. My purpose is to lead courageously toward love. It feels good to be able to do that. So as an organization, we create space yeah. for authentic and intentional connection and to be human, to humanize this world, to be seen and to be heard. Our cultural snapshot process that you mentioned is one that allows for participation and inclusion within our process. Whether it's an entry-level or a senior-level role within an organization, we want to get to know you as a human. We want to get to know an organization's culture, and guess who makes up an organization's culture? It's the people. It's the contributors that contribute to that space. So we want to get to know you. We want to get to know your perspective. We want to get to know what's important to you. And in so doing, you are participating in the recruitment process, whether that's through the creation of the opportunity brief, whether it's through informing us what is really being felt and was really being practiced on the inside of the organization, and whether, the, whether the, the outcome of that conversation could also help contribute to interview questions that are posed to the potential next leader of that organization as well. It's incredibly important to be able to feel that. Um, and part of the, the import that we put on that process as well is as an outcome to it, and we're not just listening to respond, we're listening to understand. And what that means is, is as, as an outcome, we can sit down with organizations and say, everything's not great. Mm -hmm. It's not insurmountable, but we can take an action here. But here's what's being felt within the organization. And that can inspire change within that space, which I think really speaks to the inclusivity of the process um, and the authenticity. It ultimately feeds a huge amount of the recruitment process that we have as well. But I'll take a quick step back here, Templeton, and say, you know, you mentioned you mentioned what inspires or what got me into being an advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Yeah. Um, 
there are a few stories I can tell, but I'll try to be succinct and to say that I've been in, in moments of, uh, in moments of my life, which has been incredibly privileged, incredibly privileged. There have been moments where I have felt excluded and I have felt like I needed to put aside who I was as a human to fit in. And that didn't feel good. And, you know, Bradley Day, my co-founder, Lauren Sears, my co-founder, our whole team have had moments where they've felt like they needed to fit in, be something that they're not within that space. And that didn't feel good. And it's one of the reasons why right from the very beginning, we dropped the term fit altogether. Right. We, we recruit for cultural contribution and values alignment. We want you to be your authentic self. We want you to Ooh. contribute and not fit. Fits the F word. We actually use the F word, the other F word often, but I won't use it here. So contribute, be yourself, be yourself, contribute to this organization, contribute to the organization's bottom line, contribute to their culture and think of yourself as a, as a contributor, not a fit. That's really right from the beginning. That's something that's been part of who we are. And there's a quote that I just used this morning um, from, it was from a really powerful Ted talk by John Dewin, um, who gave a Ted talk in Charlottesville, North Carolina in November, 2020. And I think it's pertinent to the, to the original question that you asked, because you're speaking to me who identifies as a white cisgendered male uh, father. I have a lot of privilege in this life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes one of the impacts of that is a tendency to either shy away or it's not, it's not my fight or there's, there is a tendency to kind of feel like there, like it's not diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is not a space that you need to you need to live in. In that space, that's a that's a that's a sense of privilege. That's a it comes from a bunch of different places. But here is what my point is to that. There's a quote that John Bewin speaks to, um, and it's about the myth that started racism. I should look it up. It's a great TED talk. Mm -hmm. The quote is: "There are no sidelines. We are all in it. We are all implicated." And if I'm not joining a struggle to dismantle a system that advantages me, I am complicit. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Yep. So you say that again. You need to say that again. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I had to take that all in. I, I feel like so the, the audience need to hear that again. Just one more time. Just say it one more time. I'm gonna. I'm gonna use time. a joke. For, so for anybody for anybody who was at the talk this morning, I'm gonna uh, they're gonna they're gonna hear, feel like I have this canned joke. But I will say I quote Brene Brown all the time, and if you've listened to a Brene Brown, I love Brene if, Brown. If, if you if you listen to a Brene Brown audiobook, you'll know that she Ooh. often. It's one of my pet peeves. Will say a quote and then say, "Let me say that again. Let me say that again," because I really wanted to sing. Brene in. Brown is always that so, person. Yeah, she she always so, says, "Say that again. One more time. One more time." So so let's say that again. This is a quote by John Bewin. There are no sidelines. We are all in it. We are all implicated. If I'm not joining the struggle to dismantle a system that advantages me, I am complicit. Mm. Just take that in, listening audience. Just take that in. Just one moment. I feel like that's really important um, when we just continue to, and I, and I hear the parts where you say cultural aspects, looking at cultural instead of trying to look in a person's just to fit in. And in in hearing your story of, of where you had to um, fit yourself in, I, I, I too find myself where I had to create opportunities for myself just to fit in. And and I too now I'm I'm that person saying, no, you have to accept me for who I am or 
don't include me at all. Like that's the point where I am in my in my career now. Where I'm that was a high five, by the way. Forward. Yeah, <laughs> high five. Yeah, and, and that's and that's how we move forward. Um, is knowing who's we are and and where we're moving. Um, and and how we want to move. And that 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 goes a bit now to my next question. When it it speaks to what does promotion and evaluation processes looks like um, in terms of diversity um, when P4G is looking for the right candidates to take to employers. I know that you say you, you, you're cultural, uh, culturally um, acceptance and, and, and welcoming those people um, based on culture and other aspects, but how does that um, promotion and evaluation process look like? What, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so that's, it's, it's an interesting question. And it is, there is not one size fits all, honestly, yeah. um, Templeton. So we have the privilege, the luxury of working with some incredible um, folks. Everybody on my team is is more inspiring and impressive than I am. That's that's the first thing. <laughs> the second thing is there are people there. Each search that we have, you know, goes through five, six different people. We have a lead placemaker in every search, but multiple people are involved in the process. And part of the involvement includes the distribution and promotion of roles. Mm -hmm. And each role has a very specific distribution strategy around that in how we put it out into the world. And it's really important because there's, you know, in recruiting, which is a multi-billion dollar industry, by the way, that we're really trying to shift to be far more human. um, There is a tendency to kind of throw a job up on a website and it's called post and hope. So you're going to post it up there and you're going to hope that somebody applies. We take a lot of intentionality around which communities, how are we reaching out to communities? What type of relationship do we have with communities that we're reaching out to? Who is going to pick up the phone when we call because we are intentional, not only about this recruitment process, but about the event that we were able to volunteer at or the the event that we were able to contribute to? How are we able to, to go about doing that? And ultimately, the reason I bring that up is to say the intentionality behind the specific individualized distribution strategy and promotion really leads to impact. We keep a running tally over 50 searches that we that we have on an ongoing basis. And right now, over the last 50 searches, I think the number is 74% of individuals who have successfully been employed through our process are from equity-deserving groups. Wow. That's not because of designated roles. Mm-hmm. It's because of the intentionality behind our process and how we go about um, working with individuals, with communities and organizations. So that I think the second piece of your question was around evaluation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I would say on that front um, is it takes a lot of pre-work with organizations to identify. Yeah. So what, what's the key criteria? What do we really need here? Do, does this person need five years of experience or is this just, are you just pulling from the last job description just because, or does this person need a university degree? Does this person need a degree? We as an organization were checked very recently on that. And there's a lot of thought and intentionality going behind our current search that is out there does not have a requirement for a post-secondary education because we are a team of incredible individuals across the board. Everybody has a post-secondary education. Why is that important? So we challenge organizations to have those conversations as well to identify what truly is needed here within this space. How can somebody come in and contribute to that 
So it really starts at the beginning from that perspective. So when we are reaching out to community, when we are having conversations with a variety of different candidates uh, to come in for the role, we truly know what is needed within that space. And we can come back to that conversation as, a, as, as we go through the evaluation and the criteria of, of individuals who go through the process. And the final thing I'll say, Templeton, one of the things that we've added recently that I absolutely adore is we as humans all have biases mm. across the board. Mm-hmm. Let's just state that. It's why our workshop is called disrupting bias. It's why it's, it's not, it's not called unconscious bias. Cause we, it's important to disrupt that. Call it out, recognize that at the bottom of our, of our interview guides that we provide to, to organizations, we lead through, okay, so let's check our biases here. Does anybody have any biases that they'd like to state? Did you go to the same university as this person? Do you, do you like, what, what are your biases that you can identify within this space to be able to, okay, let's throw this out there so everybody knows where everybody's coming from and everybody's able to kind of, uh, to understand and be in a place of knowing and authenticity around that space. And that really is able to contribute to evaluation in a big way. Wow. That, that, that's so important. I, I like the part where you, I find very interesting when you said that looking at that, um, that education awareness um, and seeing, well, education criteria um, and seeing if that's like kind of important. And actually, I had a conversation with um, a couple um, NS um, works, um, Nova Scotia works um, staff. Um, we were in a focus group um, um, yesterday. And that's one of the things that we talked about um, is that, hey, when we're looking at the developing things um should we look at skill development um or experiential development when it comes down to accepting people into the workforce and, and including people into the workplace instead of looking at just the educational um side of things because now the educational side of things now is shifting in 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 the in the diverse perspective of okay you have an education, sure, but we're now looking for your experience, your skill development, mo- mostly now skill development, and now adding on passion um, to that innovation of topic um, to see um, when it comes down to um, accepting people into different roles um, that brings change. Yeah, it's. I'm really glad you're having those conversations, Templeton. And I'm glad that you're you're able to lead those within the Nova Scotia Works Institution because I think what's important to state as well. In it, you know, I said we all have biases. Here's another thing that's important to recognize. The systems and structures that are in place right now are working. Mm-hmm. They were designed through a colonial lens, through, through a lens of mostly privilege to be able to allow for a continuation of that to happen. So, you know, I said earlier, nothing changes if nothing changes. Yeah. So let's call it a why. Why is this the case? Why do we need to have... Let's. How valuable is lived experience within right. within this space? It could be incredibly valuable. Do we need to have this X number of years of education, masters? Like, not to say anything bad about about education, but let's have the conversation. Let's let's right. not just assume across the board this is what you need because that's how systemic racism. That's how systemic issues happen within within um, spaces. Is if those yeah. conversations aren't had and if nothing changes. So I really appreciate you having that conversation. Yeah, yes, it's so important, and and hopefully that it's gonna there's gonna be an upcoming project which I will not um um I'll mention until we we actually launch it out. But there's something in the making um to help that that move. I mean, move smoothly. 
within the Nova Scotia work system and stuff like that. So listeners, I just want to let you know, as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to press Templeton for all of the answers so you can tell me. (laughs) Sure. Um, So my last question now is I'll I'll always focus on persons of disability and stuff like that. Um, My last question focused on what was your journey like in hiring individuals with disability or have you and what learnings can you pass on to employees who might be considering going the same route? Mm. It's a tremendous question. And I think it's one where I think the folks, if I'm not mistaken, at Teamwork Cooperative use the term um, inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, and belonging, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to create accessible processes and make sure that that that's, which I, I love, I absolutely adore. Accessibility is a huge piece to hiring processes. And one of the things we've talked about and touched on as a theme that's kind of emerging from this conversation that we're having right now at Templeton is about the need to question the status quo and question processes that that are being followed out. So here's one way that you can very easily question the status quo. In the interview process, when you're looking to engage with an individual, hey, is there anything that we can do to be accessible within this space. Do you, would you like for, for, uh, to either self-identify as it, it, would you need any support? Would you like a, uh, uh, whether it's a translator to be present, whether it's somebody who's able to provide sign language throughout this process, whether there is, um, any, any large variety of thing that we can help support you feel like you can be your best within this space. So asking that question goes a long way. Perhaps, you know, some people may have, may have, um, and I, I forget what the actual term is here, but there's a huge amount of, of, of disabilities that are, that can also go unnoticed and that can also be invisible within spaces as well. Um, and there's ways to accommodate for that as well. If you ask the question, if you ask the question, you know, I'm, I'm talking here today, um, being open and open and honest and saying that, you know, my, my pronouns are he, him. I don't know if you can see my name on my screen, but, but, but that's what I, I have my, my name as, and I lead with that often when I have conversations to be able to create a space that this is a safe space that you can identify, you can provide your pronouns. Don't feel like you need to not because because that's that's how um, you know society has told you to live your life. Well, the same can be said about invisible disabilities, right? And yeah. if you don't lead with the question and say, hey, what can we do to be accessible? Is there anything we can do? Um, it goes a long way and it, it can really help um, support an individual's journey. And again, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. I think 20% of individuals within Nova Scotia identify as having a disability and those numbers continue to rise. So it needs to be part of what our systems and structures are moving forward and part of that change that, that we, uh, that we, that we work on. And I, the last thing I'll say, Templeton, I know we're going to go over time, but um, is that we can absolutely, I myself, we as an organization can absolutely do better at this. We, we need to do better at this. We're at a point where we are, for instance, you know, part of our decision-making processes as we're, we get to the size that we're looking at space, at physical space within our organization to be able to hold shared offices in the HRM in Nova Scotia, what can we do to ensure, well, the number one thing that we have on the list is it needs to be accessible. It needs to be able to be a space of belonging for anybody who chooses to come into the office to work with us, uh, to be part of this, to know that well, let's, let's remove, reduce any of the barriers possible. Wow belonging 
I, I love that, you know, Brene Brown, she says she talks about belonging a lot. Um, and if you know Brene now, she she talks about daring to lead um, and her book, um, inspiring leaders to lead with intention, um, to lead with um, with action and stuff like that. And that's one of the things that I will leave with you today. Um, this is an important conversation. And Matt, I, I appreciate you actually coming on to the, to the neighborhood conversations just going into people's neighborhood um, and, and bringing this real conversation that we need to have. We'll be having more diverse and inclusion conversations. And we thank uh, Matt from P4G for bringing this back. Matt, you know, we always try to leave with a quote of the day or a tip for the day. And I forgot to, to bring this question to you, but hey, this is a surprise pop-up. What is one quote or one tip that you're gonna leave with our listening audience as we continue to move forward? Oh, I love this. So I live in quotes and I'm actually going to quote uh, a poem that inspired the tattoo I have on my arm, which is uh, mm -hmm. the tattoo is wonderment. And this whole poem is called Wonderland. I think it's by Susie Cassim. And the quote that I'll leave you with is this, the more open-minded we are, the more open our hearts, the more open our hearts, the more we are able to send and receive truth and true unconditional love. Wow. Matt Salmonson, everyone from P4G. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you, listening audience, for listening to today's um, Neighborhood Conversation episode. And we'll see you at the next. Have a great day. This podcast is funded by the government of Nova Scotia.